Good morning. Great to see you all. I don't know if I'll be a hanky-waving preacher today, but I will have some paper towels up here. It is so good to be together, and we're thankful for the FET uh, venue for opening this place up for us uh, to come and study the Word of God. Amen? Now, next Sunday, we are going to be looking at our PowerPoint verse, and beyond that, we're going to begin a study in the book of Galatians. So uh, if you'd like to start reading ahead, you can do that. And this morning, I thought we would wind up our recent series on dealing with the things that we're all dealing with right now. Some of the issues surrounding the pandemic, we've been looking at some rather significant texts of late uh, concerning some of the things that we uh, are encountering today. We've been looking at the book of Habakkuk and Nehemiah, trying to come to a place where we can understand how we are to deal with these things that we are encountering today, and we looked at them through the lens of some historical texts that have a relevance to us in this particular time. Now, historically, Habakkuk saw the rise of the Babylonians to power, and he saw that judgment was coming upon his nation, and he recognized that everything was about to change dramatically for the nation of Israel, for his people and country. Boy, have things changed here in the United States of America in a relatively short time. Now, in light of what he could see, he cried out to God and said in Habakkuk 1, 2 to 4, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arising. There is strife and contention in our country today. And therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Now, Habakkuk said, we're living in a time of great violence. There's strife and contentions on the rise. People are rejecting the law and therefore there is no true justice and perverse judgments are the order of the day. We also know that the Lord told Habakkuk to make sure that you write down the vision in understandable terms, send the runners out to other cities so they can read it, so all can hear and know what the word of the Lord is. And from that, we drew our concluding point from our week in Habakkuk that we cannot be silent about what we know is coming. There is a time of judgment coming upon the whole world, right? Now, that may seem in and of itself to be bad news, but there's good news that precedes the bad news, and that is God has provided a way of escape that we don't go through the time of tribulation coming upon the whole world, and that is exclusively through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, I'll remind you, as I often do, the great escape precedes the great tribulation. Come get us, Lord Jesus. Amen? Now... Nehemiah wrote during and about the aftermath of what Habakkuk foresaw. He lived after the Babylonian captivity. And after Ezra the priest went back to Jerusalem to restore the temple, Nehemiah was commissioned by God to return to rebuild the walls and gates of the city, many of the streets, and many of the houses. He had a burden for the city of his fathers, even as we have a burden for our beloved nation. Are there any patriots here today? Amen. Any people who love this country today and want to see things turn around as only God can do? Now listen, we see our nation is headed in a direction that does not lead to anywhere good. 
and therefore we need to follow the pattern established by Nehemiah. He was burdened about what was happening in the city of his fathers, and yet his burden didn't end with emotion. It didn't end with feelings. He did something about what had happened, and he began the process of rebuilding the city of God. Now, we found in Nehemiah 4, 1 to 5, don't you love being outside? We got all these special effects and huge bugs flying around. It's all kinds of good. And Nehemiah, when, it, when Sambalot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant. Are there people mad at the church today? Furious and indignant with the church today and mocked the Jews and spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Aren't we considered to be weak-minded today? Aren't we considered to be those who need such a thing as religion to make our way through life? Listen, there are lots of people that make their way through life without any form of religion. I'm not strictly concerned with making my way through life. I'm concerned about getting to heaven, and I'm going to need help to get there, and that comes through Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, they accuse him of all sorts of things. Are they going to build with these stones that were burned with fire? And also we heard from Tobiah the Ammonite. He said, even if a fox goes up on the wall that they're building, the light-footed fox, the lightweight fox, he'll even tear it down because their work is so feeble. Now, Habakkuk, everything around him seemed to be falling apart, and judgment was clearly looming. And for Nehemiah, the time of judgment had come and passed, and there were efforts to restore Jerusalem, and he was facing growing opposition. Now, we noted that he, therefore, in Nehemiah 4, 13 and 14, positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall and the openings, and he set people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And he looked and arose and said to the leaders, the rest of the people and the nobles, do not be afraid of them. I think that's a word from the Lord for the church today. Fear not, for he is with us even until the end of the age. Now, Nehemiah didn't pray and wait for the enemy to go away. He didn't pray and wish things were different than they are. He set a work against what the enemy was plotting and planning. He prayed and worked. He prayed and watched. He prayed and even prepared to fight the onset of the enemy. Now, in May of this year, Chicago's first openly gay mayor, Lori Lightfoot, mounted a raid on a black Southside church for holding services in defiance of her order. She gave an order a church obeyed God rather than her, and she held a raid on the church. On July 14th, Governor Gavin Newsom, via the California Department of Health, declared that indoor religious services in the state have been suspended indefinitely. And over the four months after California initially instituted a lockdown on March 19th, the state issued a new order on that day, rolling back the reopening plans. Two weeks ago, two Catholic churches were burned to the ground in the United States. Two statues of the Virgin Mary were defaced, and that's not a matter of debate whether they ought to have statues or not. It was an attack on the church. Amen? And on Saturday, July 11th, a man was arrested for setting fire to Queen of Peace Catholic Church in Ocala, Florida, according to the WKRG station there. 
and on Saturday he rammed his minivan through the door of the church, poured gasoline all over the foyer, and then set it on fire. Is there rising opposition against the church today? Absolutely. Persecution of the Jews and the Christians is on the rise here and around the world, and therefore will bring our little four-week mini-study or mini-series, if you will, to a conclusion today and talk about what we need to do to be ready. And our title this morning is The Persecution Protocols. The Persecution Protocols. Now, we've been hearing a lot about SARS-2 COVID-19 protocols. You need to social distance. You need to wear a mask. You need to self-quarantine if you're sick and a lot of things of that nature. Maybe I should just pat my head and put it in my pocket like the old-time preachers and we'll have church today. Amen? <laughs> now, today we're going to talk about what to do if the efforts to silence the church go to the next level. If they move beyond the illegal things we're already experiencing today and maybe even become physical, maybe they'll even start arresting pastors. I know uh, Jack Hibbs will be high on that list. <laughs> Amen? Love Pastor Jack. And the truth is, maybe they'll even arrest church members for meeting at all. After all, the governor has also forbidden home studies. And yet there are many who are continuing to meet in homes today. Now, it's not unheard of and it's not unprecedented that the church would be persecuted. And therefore, we need to remember the old adage, if you fail the plan, then you have planned to fail. We need to be ready. Amen. We're going to look at three texts this morning. We won't have one text that we look at as a whole, but they will establish and identify for us the persecution protocols as we see things continue to spiral out of control. Now, the first comes from the book of Acts. Actually, they're all three from the book of Acts, but we're going to start with the last in the sequence first. So if you would stand and read with me, please, from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, we'll begin our time together. You can see it on the screen or... If you happen to have your Bible, Sandy, I apologize for not telling you to open there in advance. So let's read Acts 8, 1 through 8. Now, Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, running for their lives, scared to death. No, what they do? They went preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes were with one accord and heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracle which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed. Read this last sentence out loud. And there was great joy in that city. Father, that is what we ask. Our influence would be in this city and all around us. That we would be a source of blessing and joy for all those who encounter us. We thank you that in this day you are still setting captives free, you are still healing, you are still causing the lame to walk, certainly those spiritually lame, God, and you are still rescuing souls from death. So we give you honor, praise, and glory. We ask you would speak now through your mighty word in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You may be seated. Now in Acts 1.8, Jesus told the disciples that when the Holy Spirit came, they would receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Some translations will render it. Well, after that statement was made, here we are in Acts chapter 8, some 20 years later, and we see what Jesus said happening in our text. Now, what Jesus didn't tell the disciples was that persecution was going to be the vehicle that caused the spread of the gospel, the vehicle that would send those empowered to be witnesses to Judea and Samaria. And listen, we don't want to forget that the early church's greatest adversary became their greatest champion outside of Jesus himself, and that is the persecutor Paul became the the persecutor Saul became the apostle Paul. That tells us we need to keep praying for the enemies of the church today, including those in Sacramento. Come on now, including those in Sacramento. God can save Gavin Newsom. Nancy Pelosi, I'm not too sure, but God can do anything, amen? God can save anyone. We need to be praying for our leaders today. Now, I find this text to be interesting for us, as there have been some things that we've not shared with any of you that have happened to us that cause us to be here where we are today. Uh, The former facility we were in, we had many evil things done to us, many illegal things done to us, that have put us in the place we are today. So God is driving us in the direction that he wants us to go in. It might be through unorthodox manners. It might be unexpected. It might be something we had no idea that he was going to do. But make no mistake, we are exactly where the Lord wants us to be. Amen. Amen. Now, it's also interesting that a place we thought we never wanted to leave became a place we couldn't wait to get out of. And here we are today. Isn't God good? Yes. What a beautiful day, and I'm, I'm thankful to be here with those who uh, got up early and beat the second service 85-degree weather. So good to be here with you this morning. Now, as the Lord is directing us to a new city, persecution and harassment were two of the things that led for us to be where we are today. And my prayer is that we can bring great joy to the city that God is bringing us to. Now, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, which we'll revisit later this morning, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, what? Suffer persecution. Now, I would hardly compare what we're going through with some of the things other Christians are experiencing and have experienced around the world for their faith But the truth is that the church in America now has a target on it. And we know that because of some of the things we hear today that are nothing short of irrational and delusional. I mean, think about it. Our governor and others have said, protests and riots do not contribute to the spread of COVID-19. But church gatherings do. Church gatherings are what has caused the resurgence or the second wave of COVID-19. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the riots and all that was going on, the looting and all the protests, while that was happening, the church was meeting online. We weren't even meeting in person for much of that time. Yet, 
It's the church's fault that we're seeing what we're seeing today. Fox News reported a story that a California landlord locked the doors on the church after the pastor said he's going to continue to hold services. Now listen, the battle lines are being drawn and tighter restrictions are possible in the future. As Newsom has said, the church is a high-risk, low-reward group. Boy, has he got that one wrong. Now, here's the first protocol in the form of a reminder this morning. Listen, from what we read in the book of Acts and what we know throughout church history, we need to remember persecution drives us to be the church and not just go to church. Persecution drives us to be the church and not just go to church. I like going to church. Don't you? But listen, this gathering, when we're inside four walls or whether we're under uh, easy-ups and other kind of coverings, that's not the church. You're the church. I'm the church. We are the body of Christ. And everywhere we go, we are to be the church. And persecution is often the vehicle that drives the church outside the walls into what God has called us to be and do. There's a t-shirt I've been seeing on social media floating around that says, The church has left the building. I like that, don't you? Now, things have changed for the church here in the U.S. in recent months, even as they did for the first century church. We know that as the church started, Acts 2, 46 to 47 says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church how often? Daily, including when they were meeting house to house. The Lord was still adding to the church those being saved. Now, this is how the church began. And then we find 20 years later in Acts 8, the church was driven from Jerusalem. And what began and was experienced in Jerusalem was now beginning to spread. And it began and was being experienced elsewhere. And persecution is what caused the church to spread. When the church was on the run, the church began to be the church. And the miraculous things that began with the church's birth continued to happen and great joy was experienced by other cities. Now, we know that uh, anti-Semitism is going to be on the rise. Zechariah 12.3 says it's going to arrive at a place where the whole world is against Jerusalem and the Jews. In our day, the number one country for suppressing and persecuting Christians is North Korea. Afghanistan is number two on the list. Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, China, Eritrea, Iran, Sudan, and Yemen, and in India, there's some 90-some-odd churches or countries in our world where the church is heavily persecuted. It's increasing around the world, and it's beginning to bud here in the United States as well. We need to have a plan. We need to be ready. We need to have protocols in place for when it arrives and begins in earnest here. And that begins by understanding that whenever persecution has risen against the church, the church has grown even when it was driven underground. Why? Because going to the world is what God called us to do, not just coming to church. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, our next protocol is from Acts 4, 1 to 12, where we're told as they spoke to the people, this is the council, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, the apostles, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people 
and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word did what? Believe. And the number of men came to be about 5,000, so the church was growing. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they set them, the apostles, in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, listen close, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, and then Peter adds this, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now the most important sentence in all we just read is that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. That means that what Peter said is what God wanted said, not Peter's opinion, not Peter's political position. It was what Peter's accusers needed to hear. Now the event that led to the arrest and interrogation of Peter and the other apostles was a man who was lame, was healed at the gate beautiful of the temple grounds. And because people saw the power of God manifested, others were believing adding to God's kingdom, and they were being saved. And the message of the disciples was in conflict with what people in places of power believed. Peter opened his comments as the Spirit directed him with the fact that they were being harassed and accused because of something good that they did. Now the church is being harassed and accused today. We're being called bigots today. Are we bigots? Of course not. We're being called homophobic today. Are we homophobes? Of course not. Do we love the homosexual community? Do we want to see them come to Jesus? So we're being libeled today in the media and by those in places of power. Listen, the church in our country founded and established our nation's first universities. The church in our country has built and funded many of our hospitals. The church today is always the first to arrive and the last to leave at any natural disaster that's happening not only in our own country, but many of them around the world. The church is and has always done more to help the poor and the downcast than the government ever has. Now, for which of these things are we being accused today? For which of the good that the church has brought to our nation are we being assaulted today? And though some among the rulers, people, and elders of Israel did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, Peter preached it anyway. Though the vast majority of the people Peter was addressing did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, Peter preached that he was anyway. And this gives us our second protocol, should the harassment of the church, the persecution of the church continue in the direction it's begun now. Here's the second thing we need to recognize and practice. Listen this morning, we never amend our message to appease our persecutors. 
we never amend our message to appease our persecutors. Now, the progressive left doesn't like that we believe the Bible's parameters for all types of moral activities in the world. But listen, we don't change what we believe. We don't rewrite the Bible to appease them. They don't do anything to appease us. And yet they call us the intolerant ones. In 2 Timothy 4, 14 to 18, Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must also beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. In my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be fully preached through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the liar. Amen. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, listen, Paul did not morph his message to avoid or lessen the attempts and efforts of those who sought him harm. The Lord strengthened him and the Lord will strengthen us. And Peter said to the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, which I'm sure gave them the warm fuzzies, <laughs> is the only name by which a person can be saved. You can't be saved by your first birth as a Jew, is what he was telling them. You must be born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. And he said, it is in the name of Jesus that a man once lame now stands before you made whole. Now, I don't think this was the most popular portion of Peter's sermon, but he didn't leave it out because it's what they needed to hear. He didn't change it because people weren't going to like it. He left it in because it was true, and the proof was that the Holy Spirit inspired it. And listen, the Spirit is directing us today not to compromise the message even though others are. Not to compromise our message because some won't like it. Not to compromise our message because it may even cause some to persecute us for us. We don't amend our message to appease our persecutors. Amen. Now, one last persecution protocol, which comes from the same narrative uh, of the last one, or the continuation of the story. In Acts 5, 27 to 33, we're told that when they had brought them they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. They'd already said, His blood be upon us and our children. But Peter and the other apostles said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Somebody say, Amen. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered, by hanging on a tree. It didn't seem like Peter was watering anything down. <laughs> Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were filled with wonder and awe and said, Peter's such a great preacher. <laughs> no, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now, let's get right to the point since things are, heat since things are heating up, quite literally. <laughs> Listen, the word and will of God always takes priority over that of man. 
The word and will of God always takes priority over that of man. Now, as we've been saying in recent weeks, when information was scarce about the coronavirus, we wanted to be good stewards. We wanted to be smart. We wanted to be wise and protect everybody's health. Listen, I don't want to get the coronavirus. You? No. We know that it indeed for some can be fatal. Others, it makes them very sick. We have heard stories of people still battling to recover after months of actually uh, getting the uh, antibodies and yet their lungs were damaged. So it is a real thing and we want to be wise. We want to be smart, right? Now, when it became clear that the coronavirus had become a political tool and the very things that the church were told were a danger were allowed to be done by those in defiance of moral decency and care for other people, it became clear that the plan or the motive wasn't our health. The motive was shutting down the church. You can't allow packed casinos and closed churches. The Supreme Court said churches can't meet in Nevada, but casinos can be wide open. I just, Terry and I left last Sunday after church and drove to Phoenix or Mesa, Arizona to see my mom. And of course, there's multiple Indian casinos out the 10 freeway and every single parking lot was packed. But the church parking lots were empty. The truth is, listen, you can't say masks are mandatory and effective and then release prisoners so they don't get COVID in prison. If masks are so great, Give the guys a mask, give the gals a mask, and let them stay and finish their sentence according to the law. Now listen, the time has come for the church to say, we ought to obey God rather than men. And Timothy said in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 15, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and at Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known what? Is it up there? The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, you know what? There's going to be people who cut and paste the Bible. There's going to be people who minimize the truths of Scripture. There's going to be people who compromise the message of the gospel. There's going to be people who leave out portions that society finds offensive. And then he says, but you must continue in the things which you learned from your childhood, knowing that you have learned them from the Holy Scriptures. And Paul reminds Timothy, after all, you've watched me live out my Christian faith. You've seen the soundness and heard of the soundness of the doctrine, his manner of life morally and spiritually, his commitment to his calling and purpose, and even the times he had to walk by faith and not by sight. He mentions his constancy, which is the meaning of long-suffering. He mentions his cheerful endurance, which is the meaning of perseverance. All these are attributes of Christian living. And then, listen close, he switches gears but not directions. He's still talking about the Christian life when he mentions persecutions and afflictions and how the Lord delivered him out of them all. And then he adds, as we read earlier, 
Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. Now the word translated as desire means to choose or prefer. And in the context of our study today, we need to remember that being persecuted proves you're in the right, not in the wrong, at least in the eyes of God. Amen? Amen. Choose to live godly, suffer persecution. That's what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, how far will the Lord let things go before he comes for us? Well, let me tell you. I don't know. I don't know. I do know there have been martyrs down through the ages. Amen? And the church has gone through great trials, and we won't be any exception to them until whatever manifestation or degree God allows. I don't know. But what I do know is that I would rather choose to live godly in Christ Jesus and suffer persecution than deny him and deny the faith and spend eternity separated from him in hell. Now, we need to stand up. We need to toughen up. They're, they're toughening up over here. What about you guys? We need to toughen up. We need to wise up to the persecution protocols as we've been mentioning in the previous weeks. So I'll recite it for you again this morning if it's new to some of you. We need to remember I am a child of God destined to make a difference. I will not doubt or fear in the face of adversity. I am committed to God's will no matter what opposition may come. I will praise God for every blessing and through every trial, for he will never fail me. I will put God first every day of my life that I may hear him say, well done. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Did you all survive? Yes. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, help us in these things we've talked about today. And Lord, we thank you that you are yet, even in the midst of all we see happening, unwilling that any should perish. We thank you that you love your adversaries. We thank you that you told us to love them too. We thank you that you told us to pray for those who spitefully use us and hate us and do all manner of evil against us falsely for your name's sake because we have the testimony of Jesus. So Lord, help us to recognize these things that we find in scripture in the early history of the church. Nobody compromised the message, uh, at least amongst those whom you called and chose to work through to start the church. And Lord, I pray as we seem to be at the end of the church age that we would end where the church began, standing fast, having done all to stand. So Lord, we ask now that you would give us the courage and strengthen us for the day in which we live. When the name calling is growing greater, the restrictions are becoming more restrictive. And Lord, it seems as though we have an adversary in Sacramento and many in uh, mayor's offices and other political positions around the country. But Lord, may we hold on to the fact that you promised the gates of Hades would not prevail against your church. So may we not live in fear, but may we live in the confidence that whatever comes our way, you will strengthen us to get us through it all. So we give you honor and glory and help us to be a joy in the city that you're taking us to. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.